Again, that's 1 Timothy 4, um, 11 through 16, and on page 1179 in the Black Pew Bible, uh, beginning in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, and in love, and in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a, keep a close watch on yourself and the, on the teaching. Persist, persist in these, this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Just to jump right in and I'll, I'll pray after this intro, but Paul is, is writing this letter to Timothy. This is the book of 1 Timothy, and Paul's writing it to Timothy, his son in the faith. Paul has left, and he's left Timothy there as the pastor of this church in Ephesus. And Paul wants Timothy to know how the church should be conducted, how the church should be run. And so he gives Timothy some instruction, and we see Timothy, uh, Paul warning Timothy about certain things, about false teachers. He then encourages him to pray for all people, he informs him on what qualifications a pastor should have. And then likewise with deacons. Then he jumps back to the point of false teachers. And he talks about apostates. And he tells Timothy, if you teach these things that I'm teaching you, you will be a good minister. And I think that's the same sentiment that's echoed in our text today. Paul is telling Timothy how he wants him to lead in order for him to be a good minister, a good pastor, so that his ministry might be successful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the liveliness that we heard during the meet and greet. Just hearing folks shake hands and catch up and introduce ourselves to someone new. Thank you for the love of this church, Father. We ask that you would Glorify yourself through the teaching of your word, that your name would, would be just lifted high above all else, that nothing else would matter, that we would be focused on you. We wouldn't be distracted or be thinking about other things, about what we're going to eat or about what we're going to do later, about the pool party tonight, Lord, that we would just be focused on you and on giving you the attention and the, and the glory that you deserve. Lord, be with me. Speak through me that I'd be able to, uh, to teach and, and to preach in a way that is, is passionate but is also clear and able to understand. Be with us this morning, Father. Most of all, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for his sacrifice. We're thankful for his perfect life and for his sacrifice on the cross. And we're thankful that he did not stay there, Father, but that he was risen from the grave to pay a sinner's debt. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I remember uh, the first time I, I told anybody that I, I wanted to go into ministry. I actually, I didn't tell anybody. I was kind of like dealing with this like internal kind of struggle thing. And so I called pastor and I was texting him and, and we, we couldn't find it. We we're trying to find a time to meet and it ended up being like at the end of the week. And so my family was having something at their house. And so I ended up being able to meet with pastor and we, we finally set up a time. And I told him, because uh, and, and, we had called on the phone, and he said, can we just not, like, call? And I'm like, no, nah, I really need to talk to you in person. And so we get to meet, 
and he's, he seems kind of nervous to me, <laughs> like he doesn't know what I'm going to tell him. And uh, I told him, I said, I, I think I, I really want to go into ministry. I think this is what I want to do. I think it's, it's kind of what I'm supposed to do. And he just let out this sigh of relief. Like, Ooh. And I was like, what, are you, what is that for? He's like, I did. I, you could have told me something really bad or really, really good. So I'm glad that that's, that's what it was. But he told me, in response to that, he told me that, okay, since you want to be a pastor, since that's what you want to do, I'm going to start teaching you things. And you're going to visit folks with me. And uh, we're going to study together. He was going to teach me how to become a pastor. That's what he said. And that's exactly what I wanted. But I really didn't have any idea what I was getting into. Uh, getting in front of people is kind of the easy part for me. I, that came fairly naturally. But other things I just really struggled with. The, 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 I was a little more timid, a little more shy when it came to dealing with people. And I was always, and still am, I was always a little bit less bulletproof than our pastor. And if you're a member of the church, you understand exactly what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's always been the case. And, and he knew the things that I was bad at, the things I needed to improve upon. And it, obviously, it's not like I got it all figured out. But basically, he told me, I understand you're not, you know, you're not gifted or, or great at this or that or that, but you're going to have to set those things aside to do what you want to do, to be the leader that you want to be. And I think it's kind of that way with Timothy. Timothy had been led by the Apostle Paul. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith whom he had left in charge. But Timothy isn't really Paul. He's not. He was uh, physically frail. He was naturally timid. Paul knew the things that Timothy needed to improve upon. Timothy wasn't really as bulletproof as Paul was. And Paul, I think, is really telling him, I understand you're not that, that great at this, you're not gifted at this, but you're going to have to set those things aside to be the leader that you need to be, the pastor that you need to be. Let's look at the text. Bryce read the text for us, but we'll, we'll go verse by verse. Let's look at verse 11, and we'll jump right in. It just says, command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. Not just to teach them, but to command. Paul is trying to inspire in, in his son, his son in the faith, Timothy, some firmness. So there should be authority in Timothy's teaching. It shouldn't just be teaching. There should be authority with it. It doesn't come necessarily natural to Timothy, so that's why Paul is encouraging him, command and teach these things. There's to be authority in his teaching. In verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And even though Timothy may only be in his mid-30s, the point is that age is not supposed to prevent him from being effective in leadership. On Wednesday nights, Kayla and I, we teach a Wednesday night uh, a class of the younger beaver kids. So it's the kids that are essentially potty trained up to first, first, first grade. And uh, Walker went back there. Walker's one of my favorite kids. Walker Parks is one of my favorite kids. And every single week, he's either going to ask me or he's going to ask Kayla how old we are. Every week. He forgets. And he's just kind of obsessed with how old we are. And uh, he asked me a couple weeks ago, he said, how, how old are you? And I told him, I was like, I'm, I'm 22. And this look of horror came upon his face. He was just, what? And I was like, what's, what's, what's up with this? And he says, my dad is older than you? 
And I was like, no, dude, your dad's way older than me. Way older. It's not even close. It's not even close. But I think what it was is that he couldn't really wrap his head around the fact that I'm his teacher, but I'm younger than his dad. Like he was kind of hung up on the age part, right? He couldn't get really past it. Greek culture, it placed a huge emphasis on age, on eldership status. Uh, the elderly were, were viewed as, as wiser. They, they placed great value on age and experience. And so Timothy, he's still young by the standards of the culture. He's mid-30s. That's, that's young. There's elders in the church that are much older than him. Most of the members of the church are older than him, right? And so Paul is, is trying to encourage him. I know they're older than you, right? And there can come difficulties with that. You're being led by someone that's younger than you. They might be hung up on their teacher's age, like Walker, <laughs> I guess, still is. But they're thinking that Paul went off and left them with this protege, right? That may or may not be fit for the job. Maybe they're thinking that they should be leading the church instead of this young man. Paul knows that this may be the case, and so he's encouraging Timothy. He's saying, don't let them look down on you because you're younger than them. Set the example. Set the example. Set the example to God, of godliness to show that you are capable. He can't allow his age to prevent him from being effective in leadership. He has to live an exemplary life to counteract the negative thoughts that the church may have of him because of his age. Paul says to Timothy, instead of looking down on you because you're younger, they should look up to you for an example. You should set the standard of what it looks like to be a Christian. A life of obedience to God in view of the public eye, Timothy has to live above reproach. And this is not only true in Timothy's case, but in the case of every pastor. That same night that I told uh, our pastor that I wanted to go into ministry, came home, sit there with mom and dad, we're sitting on the couch, I'm looking across from them. I'm like, I don't know why I'm so nervous, but I'm so nervous. And I tell them the same thing, I'm like, mom, dad, this is what I want to do. I want to go into ministry. I, I feel like I that's what I want to. It, it, I feel like I almost have to. <laughs> and my mom started crying. And this was not exactly the response that I was looking for. I was looking for something else. She starts crying. And it's not really like a, oh, this is so awesome. It's more like, oh, no, like that kind of thing. And I was just, I was shocked by this. I, I couldn't get past it. And I was like, well, I couldn't understand. You know, I, couldn't, I was 16. I, I, I couldn't understand. And, and now I do. But my mom's point was she was crying because it was so difficult. She knew that if I go into ministry, that it's just going to be a difficult life. It's just not easy. You live in a glass house. Everyone can always see what's going on in your life. It's not easy. You have to be above reproach. You've got to have every area of your life in order. It's hard. And sometimes even people want you to fail. And so she, that's, that's, what, that's what it was. She, she was right. It's hard. More is expected. Less is given. Judgment is harsher. Uh, James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Yeah, it's not easy. You're judged harsher. 
Timothy, along with every other faithful minister of the gospel, every other pastor must live an exemplary life. He has to set the example. He has to set the example. He must. And that brings us to the first point. For Timothy to have a successful ministry, he must live a holy, righteous life. But what does that look like? What does it look like to live a holy and righteous life? What characteristics does Timothy have to exhibit to live an exemplary life? Well, it says, it says five things. He has to set the example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Those five things. The natural reaction when your leadership capabilities are questioned is what? What's, what's the normal reaction when, when, when someone questions your leadership capabilities? You're offended, right? The initial reaction is to be defensive, to be sarcastic, to put down, to pull rank, to list credentials. Paul's saying, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. They may question you maybe because you're younger, because they're, they're older than you and you're leading them. He's saying, don't respond in that way. This is how you respond, by setting the example in faith, in love, in speech, in conduct, in purity. So let's go through these specific areas. In speech, Kent Hughes says this, if a minister gets himself in trouble, it's usually with his mouth. Some of us just plain talk too much. People are always waiting for the pastor to pause so they can say something. Along with too much talk goes the inability to listen, making it easier for us to say things that we shouldn't. Paul's telling Timothy, he's saying, hey, Timothy, show them what a self-controlled tongue looks like. I have a myriad of Proverbs. The first one, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Next one, Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. I'll give you the notes if you want them later. Proverbs 15, 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Next one, Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs 10, 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth, the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. I believe Paul is telling Timothy, don't let them judge you by their age. They should judge you off of your character. Because the reality is that's why Timothy was chosen. That's why Timothy's the pastor of this church. It's not because he's young or cool. It's because of his character. That's why Timothy was chosen. Because of his character, because of his gifting. Christian leadership is a matter of godly character from beginning to end. That brings us to the second point this morning. For Timothy to have a successful ministry, he must be a man of the word. Let's look at verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Timothy is to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. For Timothy, Timothy to devote himself, it means that this has to become his way of life. This has to be his constant practice. Reading of the Word, exhorting of the Word, teaching of the Word. The, the public reading of the Word was normal. It was present from the birth of the church in Acts. 
It was, it was always there. It was important because it was the way that a lot of people only, that's the way that a lot of people only got the word is from the public reading of the word. They didn't have the access to the scriptures or the inability to read the, the scriptures in Hebrew. And so they only got the word from the reading in church. They had the Old Testament scriptures and that's it. They didn't have the MacArthur study Bibles that everybody's got. The public reading of the word, it was followed by exhortation. The exhortation was the challenging of those who hear the word to apply it to their lives. Um, and it could involve rebuke. It could be warning. It could be encouragement. It could be comfort. And the, the teaching, is, it's, it's, it's exactly what you think it is. It's the systematic explanation and instruction of the word of God. Timothy is to devote himself to these things. It's to become his way of life. It's to become like breathing. It's to become like brushing your teeth. It's just what you do. It's just how you live. So much so you, you don't even think about it. You just do it. He's to completely live it and experience it day in and day out. And not only this, but it, it's a serious thing. Um, we get up here and, and, you know, we make jokes and, 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 and can cut up and stuff, and that's fine. But when it comes to the Word, it's to be taken seriously. It's not to be taken lightly. It's to be taken seriously, engaged with seriously, and wrestled with seriously. We're not reading a, a collection of bedtime stories up here. We're not reading Homer's Odyssey. We're not reading Jane Austen. And those things are good, and you should read them. But they're not the authoritative, inspired inerrant, infallible word of God. When we read the scripture, what do we do? What do we do when we read scripture? Stand. We stand when we read the scripture, don't we? Who, who sits down? Nobody? We stand when we read the scripture. Why? In honor of the reading of God's word. Because we're not reading something else up here. We're reading the inspired word of God and it should be taken seriously we stand out of reverence out of honor and we should because it's to be taken seriously preachers can have fun and cut up and joke around but when it comes to the word they should be serious they should have reverence Paul wants Timothy to be radically biblical in his preaching and his teaching and this is the opposite of the, the false teachers that have been there in Ephesus it's the exact opposite they're, 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 they're telling their silly myths and their genealogies, old wives' tales. And without the, the word at the center of the preaching and teaching, then Timothy's ministry will be a failure. It'll be exactly what the false teachers is, which is nothing. The word has to be at the center. Timothy has to be a man of the word in order for his ministry to be successful. He has to. If Timothy is preaching and teaching the word of God correctly, it does not matter how old he is does not matter if someone is older than him. He does not have the power. The Word has the power. He has to be a man of the Word. It doesn't matter how much experience he has. The Word is the Word, and it doesn't change based on your age. The Word is what has the authority. The power is not in Timothy's experience or lack thereof. And because the Word of God has, has infiltrated his heart and his mind, he's going to live a righteous and holy life. And because of that, he can have a successful ministry. Not because he's smart or because he's clever, 
or because he's figured some things out, but because he's a man of the word, because he seeks to live a righteous and holy life, an exemplary lifestyle committed to Christ. The third point is that for Timothy to have a successful ministry, he must use his gifts. Let's read 14 and 15. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. I think this is referring to Timothy's ordination, when he was ordained for ministry, when the church laid their hands on him. Paul's telling him, remember that moment in the past when, when, when we put your hands on you with prophecies and prayers about your giftedness, about your future ministry. Uh, Paul refers to this prophecy in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And he mentions it again in 2 Timothy 1, 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So what is the gift? What is the gift that Timothy received? What is his gifting? Well, let's look at what Paul reiterates. Verse 11, it says, command and teach these things. Verse 13, Paul says, devote yourself to the reading of Scripture, exhortation, and to teaching. I think Paul is a, excuse me, I think Timothy is a teacher. I think he's a teacher and preacher. I think those are his gifts. And you also don't get put in the position that he is, uh, that he's put in by Paul as a young man without being gifted in leadership. But I think it's teaching, preaching, leadership. I think that's, that's Timothy's gifting. And sure, he's gifted, but it doesn't matter if you're gifted if you don't use your gifts. It doesn't matter if you have the ability if you don't do it. He's encouraging him to use them. He's gifted, but they still need to be practiced. They still need to be cultivated. I think it's like a use it or lose it mentality. Timothy, use your gifts. Don't neglect them. And this is true for anyone in ministry, but more than that, it's true for every Christian. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you place your faith and trust in Christ. You have spiritual gifts, things that you're, you're naturally gifted in and you love doing, but that doesn't mean that we don't practice them. No, we practice our gifts. We cultivate them. We immerse ourselves in them. We try to use our gifts as much as we possibly can. We all need to be using our gifts. And all of us have different gifts that collectively make up the body of Christ. We know Romans, Romans 12, Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We need to use our gifts, whatever it is. If it's serving, serve. If it's preaching or exhorting, we need to preach. If it's giving, we need to give. If it's leading, we need to lead. We have to practice our gifts. It doesn't matter if you have them, if you don't use them. We have to live and breathe these things, practice our gifts, immerse ourselves in them. And then in the next verse, he's going to say persist. It's the same idea as, as, as Pastor said, 
as far as training yourself for godliness. It's the same idea, working at it. Not, oh, I'm, I'm gifted at that, so I don't really have to try. I don't really have to put much effort into it. No, that's not the case. We need to practice these things like Timothy. We need to get after it, immerse ourselves, persist. It's this never-ending command that we need to obey. There's no success in ministry without hard work. It just doesn't happen. Timothy needs to give his whole life, all that he has, to living a godly life, to being, uh, to, to being a man of the word, and to using his gifts and teaching and preaching. He has to immerse himself in them. It has to become his way of life in order for his ministry to be successful. That brings us to the fourth point. The result of Timothy's successful ministry is that all would see his progress and his hearers would be saved. Verse 15, the end of verse 15. It says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We said that before that the life of a Christian minister is one that's in, in public view. The life in the glass house. Meaning that people should be able to see your progress. Timothy's life will be in view of the public regardless. Good or bad. So that they should see your progress. Now, he has to be careful. He can't get caught up in that. He can't get caught up in wanting people to see his progress, wanting people to think that he's brilliant, wanting people to think that he's a, a very witty preacher, wanting people to think that he's a very good teacher. He can't be caught up in that. But the result of living a godly life, being a man of the word, using spiritual gifts God has given you, is that people will be able to see it. People will be able to tell. It should be obvious. They'll be able to look and say, that guy, that guy loves Jesus. You can say what you want about this or that, the way they do this, the way they do that. That guy loves Jesus. Paul's saying that's what they should be able to say about you, Timothy. And that's true of all preachers, right? Don't you want that to be thought of, of your preacher? Man, say what you want. That dude loves Jesus. That's what you desire for your pastor to, 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 you should be able to say that. They see him advancing in maturity, in experience, in knowledge, in understanding, in godliness. And not only that, but the same should be true of us. Everyone, pastor, not pastor. Paul's last instruction is to keep a close watch on himself and his teaching. Himself and his teaching. And it's interesting that those two are linked. Himself, meaning his behavior, the way that he lives, the way that he acts, and his teaching. Those things are directly tied together. And Pastor talked about this last, uh, a few weeks ago also. But doctrine and teaching are exactly, they're, they're tied together because what we believe determines how we live. What we believe determines how we act, the way we live our lives. 
the more we know about God, the more we love him, the more we're able to trust him and, and, and his workings. They're, they're tied together for a reason. But he, he tells Timothy, Paul does, he says, keep a strict eye on yourself. And this goes back to verse 12, the, the, the five areas in which Timothy must live an exemplary life. He's got to keep a close eye on those things. He's got he's to keep a close eye, a very close eye. He must remain in the Word. He has to keep a close eye on his teaching. Make sure he's teaching truth. It's like he's living his life walking on this track, on this line, obeying God. And then all of a sudden, you look down and you're a little bit off track. Well, what do you do? You jump back on. You get back on track. You keep a close eye on where you're going and what you're doing. I didn't know that we were going to sing Come Thou Fountain this morning. I, I had no idea about that. But I love Come Thou Fountain. It's my, it's my favorite hymn. Um, in fact, it was played at Kayla's wedding. But I love, I love Come Thou Fountain. It's so pretty to me. I just, I, I just, I love it. The lyric, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Man, isn't every time you hear that, isn't it just true? Doesn't it just ring true in your ears? Oh, man, you're right. Prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. That's true. But that should only be true until we realize that we're wandering, right? We look down, we realize we're off track. Well, what do we do? We get back on. Get back on the horse. Yeah, we all get off track. It happens. It's life. It's our, our sinful nature. We get off track. But what are we to do when we realize we're off track? We get back on. Keep a close eye. I think that's what that means. This is all important for Timothy's ministry because Paul says if he persists in this, if he continues to do this, if he does these things that Paul is encouraging him to do, he will save both himself and his hearers. Now, it, it doesn't mean that Timothy can earn his salvation by teaching and preaching the gospel. Just get that out, get that out of the way. But as far as saving himself, uh, Paul is speaking of Timothy persevering and believing the truth, persevering and believing the things that he knows about Christ that saved him in the first place. When it comes to Timothy saying, those who hear him, one, one commentator wrote this, by careful attention to his own godly life and faithful preaching of the word, Timothy would continue to be the human instrument God used to bring the gospel and save some who heard him. Though salvation is God's work, it is his pleasure to do it through human instruments. So God does the work, but someone has to be the one preaching. It's on our wall right here. How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, right? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Salvation is God's work, but someone has to preach. Someone has to be sent to deliver the gospel, just as Timothy had been. Timothy's in a tough spot, pastoring a church that may or may not have wanted him, may or may not have had these things against him because he's younger pastoring people that had more experience. But we know now, looking back, that 
his ministry was successful. He lived a righteous, holy life. He was a man of the word. He used his gifts. And the result was that people saw his progress and that people were saved by his teaching and preaching. The Lord saved them, used his preaching and teaching. Let's look at some application points. There's a, a, a million application points. And so that'll be one, one good thing about small groups next week is that there's just a lot of application that you could pull from. You could pull a, a bunch of different things. But firstly, let's, let's think about the main points. To have successful ministries, uh, Timothy needs to live a holy life, to be a man of the word, to use his gifts. I think that can apply to all believers as well. To have successful lives, to have successful ministries, we need to live a holy life. You don't have to aspire to be a pastor to try to live a righteous and holy life. People should be able to look at us and say, man, say what you want. They love Jesus. That should be true of us as well. Two, we need to be people of the word. The pastor said last week that, that pastors need to bleed Bible, and that's true. That's true, but I think it's true of every believer as well. This right here, this is our, our, our lifeline. This is what sustains us. This is what keeps us going. This is life. Third, we need to use our gifts. There's not a lot of folks that get to use their gifts on Sunday mornings. That's what Wednesday nights are for. You have people using their gifts, serving. But these things that Paul is instructing Timothy, they do apply especially to, to pastors. But there's a lot of application that we can take. You don't have to be a pastor. I'm not a pastor, but I want to be. So what should I do? Well, I should persist. I should immerse myself in these things. It should be life to me. It should be like breathing. I should be a man of the word. I should try to live a righteous and holy life. I should try to use my gifts. I should work and get after it. I should practice these things. Also, I'm, I'm, I'm young. Every other member of the youth team is older than me except my wife. And they're all more experienced and smarter than I am. Right, Jake? Sarah? Well, yeah, everybody agrees. We know. It's not a big deal. We're, we're okay with it. I'm saying it so you can say it's okay. That's true. So what should I do? I should work extra hard. I should show them I'm not, the, I'm not just there for the ride. I'm there to serve. I should try to set the example. I should persist. I should immerse myself in these things. I think there's, there's, there's a lot more. I think you can be thankful for our pastor who seeks to live a holy life, set an example, be a man of the word, use his gifts. I think there's a million application points that you can hit. I think if you're aspiring to be a pastor... Uh, we can look at verse 12 again. Verse 12, H.A. Ironside, he, he sums it up this way. He says, A young man may be very immature in some respects, but if he is characterized by these things, careful as to his words, particular as to his behavior, and is manifesting the love of God, if he is a man of faith and is careful as to purity of life, 
He will not have to try to compel others to accord him recognition. His behavior will accredit him to those whom he ministers. They will realize that though a young man, there is something about him that marks him as a man of God. So if you're seeking to be a pastor, that's what you want to do. Okay. We got it right here. You got the playbook. That's what we should do. We should immerse ourselves in these things. Lastly, we do some marketing for our church. We don't do a ton. We've done some hats. We've done some shirts. I wear the hat constantly. Um, we do stickers. We've done a few license plates. There's some of you that have license plates. But the real marketing for our church, the way that our church gets out there and people hear and come, is you. That's the true marketing of the church, is you, 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 you. That's how people hear. By you, a believer in Christ, who's excited about what's going on in the church, telling others, inviting someone. And they come because they look at your life, and they're like, man, that dude... They love Jesus. Or they look at your life, and they look at the way that you love your husband, or they look at the way that you love your wife, or they look at the way that you treat your kids, and they say, I don't really know what, what that's all about, but I'd like to have it. I want what they got. That's the real marketing of the church. Paul wants Timothy to become a faithful minister. And to do that, Timothy has to do a lot. We look back now, we know that Timothy did those things. He was a faithful minister. He followed Paul's commands. The result was that people saw his progress, and many were saved. But maybe you're here this morning, and as I'm listing these things that faithful pastors and faithful Christians should do, they seem foreign. Maybe you don't try to live a righteous life. Maybe you don't read the Word. Maybe you don't use your gifts. Maybe... People can't look at you and say, man, they love Jesus. And it may be because you've never been adopted into the family of God. And that means that you've been living your life for yourself all these years, opposed to God. Maybe people don't see your progress because there has been none. And if that's you and you continue to live your life this way, you'll be judged. You'll be punished. And that's right and that's good. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to. God sent his son Jesus. He was born. He lived the, the, the righteous, holy life that we try to live, that Paul's instructing Timothy to live. Jesus did it. Perfect. In every way. The life that we try to live as believers, he did it perfectly. Without blemish, without mistake, without sin. And he died on the cross to pay for sinners' debts. And yours, if, if, this is, if I'm talking to you, yours can be paid for. You can be saved. It can be paid for on the cross. If you repent and believe that Christ died for you. It can be yours. You can be saved. Let's pray. And uh, Pastor will come up.
Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for the opportunity to teach and preach your word. Thank you for your word that is powerful, Father, and we know that the power is not in anything that anyone says, Father, but it's in the word. Father, help us this week as we look at these things that Paul instructs to Timothy. Help us to embody these things, whether we want to become a pastor or not. Help us seek to live righteous and holy lives. Help us to be people of the Word. Help us to immerse ourselves in the teaching and preaching of the Word. Help us to use our gifts. And Father, if there's anyone here that has made no, no their, their progress has not been seen, Father, because there's been none. They've never repented and trusted you. Father, I pray that you just bring conviction upon their heart that they would desire to be saved and would acknowledge you as, as Lord and Savior, Father. We love you. We pray that you would give us a, a sweet time tonight as a church family, Lord. Help us to love one another better, but help us to love you better, Father. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.